them Cowboys. Uh, they picked up a huge win over the Lions Saturday night, but did not come without controversy after Jared Goff found Amonron St. Brown to bring the score within one. The officials penalized Detroit on their first attempt for a two-point conversion when Goff completed a pass to lineman Taylor Decker. The officials claim Decker was ruled to be an ineligible receiver, but replay show that he actually spoke with one of the officials prior to the ball being snapped. Now the Lions would go on to fail the two-point conversion and ultimately come up short as they lost 20-19. to 19. Um, This was drama on Saturday night. Uh, what should be done after that controversial call that many say decided the game? Listen, uh, the officiating crew should not be allowed to be officiating in the NFL playoffs this year at a bare minimum. And bare I'm not minimum. like I get it. People have jobs. I'm not trying to like take people away I from agree. working for their. But it's the NFL. There's only going to be 14 teams that are in. So you do the math with the when it comes to the games and the buys. Like we have to have the best of the best. Yep. So for this crew and the way that this was mishandled and. It, like, certainly integrity is being questioned when it comes to this, not in the playoffs. I do think that the NFL at some point, and I love the NFL, has to look at this and be like, we, this can't be the best that we can do. Yep. Go back years ago when, the, when we're in a playoff game, the Saints and the Rams situation can't happens. Have we changed anything from that, really? Mm-hmm. We, we are far too advanced when it comes to, like, technology and communication to just sit here and allow stuff like this to happen and sit and go, well, you know, the referee said that number 70 reported and everybody else said 70 didn't report right. and 68 did. There's got to be something that the NFL can sit back and sit here and say, we do everything we can to have the best possible product. We pay billions of dollars for stadiums and fields. Mm -hmm. We pay players millions of dollars. The facilities and and the care and the health, everything is to be the absolute best. But the officiating, Mm -hmm. both with the people that are in those roles and the operation that gets done. There has to be some mechanism that is put into place that doesn't bog the games down and doesn't chase perfection but Chase is not having... That's what's so hard about this one, though, Dan. It wasn't that sort of call. What do you mean? Right, like, you, you look at the, the miss DPI in the NFC Championship with the Saints and the Rams. Right. There should have been some protocol that says, hell no, right. we are not going to allow this game to finish without fixing this. Mm. And those are things that you can do differently. You don't know this until after the play. So you can't go back retrospectively and fix this because if he walks over to the Dallas Cowboys and says that 70 has reported eligible, I don't care how they line up on the backside. If I'm strong safety Donovan Wilson, I'm not covering Taylor Decker because he's not eligible. Right? And so there's no way to go back on the back end and fix this. So you have to, so you have to in some way, the, the punishment or the consequence for and no disrespect to this official at all for the laziness he exhibited because it was laziness, right? Because there's an attention to detail that's supposed to go along with having that job. Sure. And just because Dan Skipper throughout the day 
has ran onto the field and reported as eligible doesn't mean that he's doing it now. Sure. So just because I see him running toward me, I can't take the shortcut of thinking I know what's going on. Yeah. What I have to do is look him in his eyes, hear him say, I'm reporting as eligible. He didn't do that. He started to run toward the line of scrimmage, basically looking over Taylor Decker because that's what's happened the entire night, which if I'm not dumb, that's the way they planned it. No if doubt. I'm the Detroit Lions. The entire day, you've seen Dan Skipper run in and report eligible. This one time, he's going to run in again, but Taylor Decker is going to be the guy eligible. But the, for the official to not listen, for the official to not have the conversation, for the official to not communicate the right way, is simply on him. Yeah. I'm not putting this part on the entire NFL. That's on him. And that's why the consequences need to be different. Can I ask you a question as a defensive guy? Can we – what would be the downsides to getting rid of the whole report thing? Like, why do guys actually have – shouldn't it be the job of a defensive player to see who is eligible and who isn't eligible? Well, so, like, so, so think, about, think about that situation. The only way that Donovan Wilson would, would know that he's eligible is if, you believe, is if you believe the receiver's off the ball right. or you see the receiver off the ball. You can't ask him to see that when he's also only two people away from the center, Right. Where, which is normally where the tackle lines up. He has a tackle number, which indicates this is the position I play, and now he's doing something different. You can't do that. You can't ask the players to do both things. Now, if every single play that position or that person is eligible, then you're right. You that's don't have saying. to do it. You don't have to do it, but okay. he's not. And, and, and so that's the difference, and that's the reason the rule is created, because now you have a person who has a number that indicates to the world I'm an ineligible player that's now eligible. Um, let's bring in Sam Macho, who's joining us from New Orleans. We'll be coming, uh, covering the suit. I see you with them Texas colors, boy. I hey, see you. Let's go, boy. I'm in New Orleans. LSU, you know what happened last time, man. Hey, man, I'm representing, man. Harley home. Always repping, bro. Always repping. Happy, happy New Year. I'm sure you've been listening in on this conversation. What, what do you think should be done after that controversial call, which I know you saw on Saturday? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I'm Dan, I hear totally what you're saying, RC as well, but my thing is this. Shouldn't it be on Taylor Decker to make sure, right? Because you're not dumb. RC, you are not dumb. There was a little bit of trickery that yeah. took place on that play. Even from the receiver, who, as he was going up to the line of scrimmage, who was off the ball, he tried to slyly signal to the ref, hey, I'm off, I'm off, and didn't make it obvious, right? They had someone stacked behind him to make it seem as if he were on the line of scrimmage. And I understand that Dan Campbell said to the referees before the game, this is what we are going to do. But... Shouldn't it be, maybe shouldn't's not the right word, but my expectation would be, hey, Taylor Decker, make sure, right beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that referee heard you and make sure he knows it's you, that you said, hey, I am eligible, right? Because at that moment, if I'm a defensive player, all I hear is, hey, 70's eligible. So if I'm, because for, for a DB, it may be different. For a defensive end or outside linebacker, I may be in coverage. I'm looking at those tackles every single day, yeah. every single play. And so if I hear 70 is eligible, just from a secondary perspective, the sec like the second point I'm making is, well, then I don't have to worry about 68. But if I would have heard, and maybe this was some of the strategy, not the piece of not, not the referee not saying it, but hey, 
Taylor, you go over there to the ref, and then 70, you go to the ref as well, right? They were there at the same time. If I would have heard that 68 was eligible, my reaction as a defensive player would have been completely different. I would have been yep. more privy to the fact of, hey, let me see. Oh, wow, the receiver's off the ball. Hey, I'm pointing. Like, that was one of our jobs. Hey, he's eligible. He's eligible. 68 is eligible. And so I think my main point is this. The referees, sure, they can have some sort of culpability, but if this is some sort of a trick play, right, some sort of – uh, 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 of an illusion, right? Trying to make it seem as if one person is, one person isn't. Then Taylor Decker, you must make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that that referee knows that you are in fact eligible. And for me, the fact that it, it seemed as if the Lions tried to confuse or deceive, if you will, in a, in a good word, right? Uh, the Cowboys, they ended up confusing or deceiving, if you will, the referees in the fact that both <laughs> well, people, I, I, well, the, the, the other part of it is if Taylor Decker is saying Dan, hold on, I'm eligible, mm -hmm. he believes that when the official runs away from him, he's going to tell the Dallas Cowboys that. So you're saying he needs some sort of acknowledgement from the official that, okay, you heard me, you know it's me, and you're saying this to the Dallas Cowboys? I'm saying that if Taylor Decker is running up to the official and that if another player, an offensive lineman, is also running to the official concurrently, how do you, the official, yes, you could say he should know who's saying it, but, man, there's a lot going on in that place. Taylor Decker, remember, he was in the huddle first. Then, remember, the yep. quarterback said, hey, go and report. <laughs> then he goes to report, right? And then all this is happening at the same time. I'm not trying to take a lot of culpability off of the referee. I'm just saying this. I'm saying that Taylor Decker has to be the one to make sure that the referee knows what was said. From what I heard, Jared Goff said, hey, man, it was Taylor Decker who said he was eligible, but then they reported 70. If they report 70, if they report somebody else, that means the defense is thinking someone else is eligible. No, you're right. So, uh, so my point You're right is, about that part. Yeah. But for, for, to take it off and, of the official, I mean, what do you want Taylor Decker to do? Jump at Jack? Like, hey, guys, yeah. it's me. It's me. First of all, you're right. implying I, I, you're it, implying that he didn't do that. You, we're, we're, we're making this assumption well, I'm, I'm that Taylor that he didn't, didn't do that. Right. Sure, but but how do we but how do we know that he did? And the only reason I say are that using is using our eyeballs. You're inferring it. <laughs> using our eyeballs, the official I, 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 basically looks yeah. at him and makes some type of acknowledgement that if you're the official and you've yeah. been notified that in that situation this is going to happen. What the freak do you think Taylor Decker's walking over to you wait, to tell you? I thought you was about to curse. I thought you. <laughs> what, yeah, and wait, what do you wait, want wait, him to wait, do? So, so we have we have 25 seconds to actually get this yeah. done. We, of course, you want some form of deception. That's the whole point of it. It's to go get the freaking win. It's the reason Panay Sewell was standing over there yeah, as well. So now I need to go. Hey, like right. that's that's like Cassidy sitting, telling RC and I, hey guys, when I come out of the break here, I'm gonna immediately go to you. guys. Guys, and we come out of break and she comes to us and both of us don't talk. She told us what she was gonna do. So we gotta be an adult at some point. Man. Like this is this is this is on the Man, officiating were, crew. I agree. And they should not be a part of the playoffs. Agreed. Um, yeah, they were told, they were told from what we were told from Dan Campbell, they were told before the game, hey, hey, we're assuming that Dan said, hey, on our two-point conversion, when the game, when we're down by one, the very end of the game, we're going to do the situation. We don't know when he said the situation was going to come. Coaches tell referees, they, they, they alert referees to things that'll happen yeah. at some point in the game. Sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. I guarantee you he said, of if fact, we right? go so, for a two-point conversion, this is exactly what we are going to do. I agree. We're going to walk Penny Sewell over. Dan Skipper is going to come on the field late. Taylor Decker is going to walk over you. He is the only one that is going to re be reporting. We are going to throw a pass to Taylor Decker. That's exactly what happened.
And you know what also happened before that play? There was a different two-point conversion that was attempted to be run, and a timeout was called. So, like, different things can happen in certain situations. Ref gets – I'm not trying to absolve the ref. I'm not trying to do that. But I, I am saying that Taylor Decker, there is a point where it's like, hey, maybe you get there earlier, right? Maybe our plan, right, if somebody's running in late or if you're late, something could happen, right? You practice things all the time, but you have to make sure. I'm not saying – maybe – I don't know what the acknowledgement is, right? Usually it's like, hey, 68 reported eligible. But you have to be sure that he heard, right? We're assuming that, yeah, Taylor went like, – like, you made a point, Dan, on a, on a breakdown you did, I think it was yesterday, of, of saying, hey, what other reason would Taylor Decker walk over to the official? Like, what other reason? Well, some, dude, I've walked over to the officials before, right, to have a conversation. Or maybe another reason is, hey, let me make it seem as if something's going on. We don't know why. Maybe the reason was so they don't know which of the players is going to report eligible. Now you have two guys standing at the referee, but and, the, the, and we're all the, assuming we're all the assuming problem, that the referee didn't – go ahead. If Dan Skipper doesn't say anything – Dan Skipper running toward the official shouldn't give him the inclination that Dan Skipper is reporting eligible. If Taylor Decker is standing in front of him and saying reporting eligible, then that's who he should be paying attention to. That's what's important. What happened was Dan Skipper had reported eligible early on in the game. When he saw Dan Skipper running toward him, which you're right, it's part of the deception, correct? We've seen the official walk over to the Dallas Cowboys and say during the game, 70s reporting eligible. So what we're going to do is not only have Panay Sewell stand next to the official as Taylor Decker declares eligible, we're going to run Dan Skipper onto the field so it feels exactly the same as it has all year. And now I know we don't necessarily have this tape, but if you remember when the play starts, Panay Sewell is actually extended from the line of scrimmage because he was the player that was standing next to Taylor Decker. Correct. So now it can create some more or some sort of confusion for the defense. All of it was a ruse. But what's not is the fact that Taylor Decker, on the behest of Jared Goff, walked over to this man to check in to be eligible, and it is his job. It is what he is paid for. It is what we expect him to do because his decisions – his decisions change careers. Now, the Dallas Cowboys, who weren't going to host the play, be able to host the second-round playoff game, Hosting. now have an opportunity to do so. The Dallas Cowboys, who would have had to see the San Francisco 49ers, who's been beating their face in for the last three years, now ain't got to see them to the NFC Championship. That changed the course of so many lives and careers based on you not doing your job. You asked me to do mine. And I did it. I walked over to you. Right. Dan Campbell, I told you before no, the game. No, but Ryan. Now I'll do yours. RC. <laughs> RC, but you're, you're, I, I agree with you on 99.9% of what you said, right? Well, why Part are you of your camping? job is walking over, right? Check me out. Check me out, RC. Part of your job is walking over. My eyes okay. popped out, so we're about to talk for a little bit. The other part of your job is actually going in. It's a ruse. It's a disguise. This is part of deception. This is part of football. This is what we do when you see people flank down, people run to the sideline. Remember that thing with Mike McDaniel and the Washington, yeah. back when Washington was like, hey, man, go, 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 right? This is the thing that people do. And so part of it is this, hey, I know there's going to be some deception, so you have to make sure, beyond a shot, do it subtly. I don't care how you do it. But beyond a shadow of a doubt, seems like make he sure he knows that it's you. I'm not saying, like, make sure you go over there and tell him, hey, 68 is eligible. That's what's going on. And so my piece is this. Yes, your job is to go and to walk over to the ref. But it's also your job to make sure the ref, for, to, to have the ref hear you, make sure he knows or whatever. Because of the deception, because of the rules, because of, hey, this is part of the play we're going to do, make sure he knows that you are, in fact, eligible. And that didn't happen 
And I believe that part of that is actually Taylor Let, let's just job because of let, all that was going on around it. You know what? Let's take any and all accountability away from the officials. Let's just... <laughs> But that's the thing, though. When, when this question is, what should be done about the controversial lines? I think Dan was right. But the, the, the point is, is it spilled milk when it comes to the to the players. It, it's going to fall onto the officials totally. because that's the only thing that can happen. Adam Schefter has a, uh, an article on ESPN.com, basically saying that they expect to be downgraded, which will impact whether they officiate in, in the playoffs and they, they get evaluated not. on every single play um, in every single game. So you know. That, that, that's what's going to happen of this because there's no changing that outcome. Nope. Hey, hey, I'm Molly Karam, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-time chimney sweepers, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com to sign up today. Claim based on the total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Thanks so much for listening to the First Take Pod. Have a fabulous day. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Happy New Year and welcome back to First Take. Let's talk some college football as the Georgia Bulldogs bullied FSU in the Orange Bowl as they put up a whopping 63 points in a blowout win, highlighted by a 35-point second quarter. After the game, Georgia head coach Kirby Smart had some strong words about the state of college football. Take a listen. People need to see what happened tonight, and they need to fix this. It needs to be fixed. It's very unfortunate that they, who has a good football team and a good football program, are in the position they're in. And everybody can say it's their fault and it's all their own problem. All right? And everybody can say that we had our guys and they didn't have their guys. I can listen to all that. But college football has got to decide what they want. And I know things are changing. And I think things are going to change next year. And you know what? There's going to still be bowl games outside of those. People got to decide what they want and what they really want to get out of it. Because it's really unfortunate for those kids on that sideline that had to play in that game that didn't have their full arsenal. And it affected the game 100%. And as Kirby mentioned, Florida State was missing numerous players for the Orange Bowl, and that included 97% of their passing yards, 88% of their rushing yards, and 84% of their receptions this season, on top of missing 29 scholarship players in all. Now in the rundown it says, was the Orange Bowl outcome bad for college football? But Sam, I'm going to phrase it this, this way to you. How bad was the Orange Bowl outcome for college football? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely bad for college football, but I think it was also bad specifically for Florida State. And the reason I say that is that a lot of teams have had people that are opting out or that are injured, or that are transferring, going to the draft, et cetera. And you're a team that's in a position to, I'm not even saying make a statement, but I'm just saying in a position to compete. 
Like, as football players, it's a joy, an opportunity to get a chance to compete. And Florida State may be saying, well, shoot, we wanted to compete for a college football playoff. We wanted to be playing right now, playing today in the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl for a chance to go to a championship, right? But Georgia could also have said the same thing, right? And you could say, well, yeah, Georgia lost. But, like, my thing is, like, when you're on that field, you want to compete. And so I think it's a – it's a – you could say it's a bad look for college football. I would say maybe not that bad because next year it's going to be a 12-team playoff and all of the main teams or the best teams or the best players, major players, will likely play in that college football playoff for a chance to compete for a national championship. But also, there was a game that was supposed to be played and one team showed up, at least their players showed up, one team didn't. So I think for a Florida State team, I think it, in their minds they're saying, okay, well, this is more about the future of us, future college football, trying to leave the ACC. Let's forget about this game for some of the players. And some of them, it was like, well, shoot, I'm here. I got to go play. Whereas Georgia was like, dude, we want to dominate every single time we are on that football field. They did a national championship last year. Huge outcome. Big disparity against TCU. They did it again when they played Florida State. I think it's an absolutely awful look for college football. And it needs to change to Kirby Smart's words immediately. Here's, here's the problem with college football. There, first of all, there's no leadership. There's no governing leadership over it all. Two, NIL and the transfer portal have completely wrecked 99% of what college football really is. And there's no governing leadership over that right now. So college football needs to get something or someone that is spearheading and leading it through what it's going to be its next phase because it has to evolve. It can no longer operate the way it has for many years, both as the structure of its schedule, when it comes to the transfer portal, and what NIL, the name, image, and likeness is. There needs to be something controlling and governing it, not getting rid of it. Here's, first of all, the, the college football schedule should get changed and moved up. Okay, we're, the, the, the fact that we're going to a longer season next year is even bigger of a problem because this season is so long. They should move the season up like two weeks. They should probably start sometime in August. They should get the college football playoff done by the new year. They should not be getting into the middle and third week of January. They should be not, not be competing with the NFL. This, the two biggest parts that schedule-wise need to change, one, get rid of the early signing period. It completely changes roster when it comes to college football completely get rid of it and then number two and this is probably the most important one you cannot open the transfer portal during the season the tra regular or bowl season the transfer portal should not be opened during bowl season because the Florida State game and the Georgia game is a perfect example the, the backup quarterback for Florida State Tate Rodemaker is in a situation where do I play in the bowl game or do I enter the transfer portal? Because if I, if I don't enter the transfer portal and I play in the bowl game, I can't enter the transfer portal. But I know that I'm not going to be here next year, so I'm going to enter, enter the transfer portal. Immediately the, the team is weakened. Immediately it impacts the rest of the team. The, these guys, these, these young men that are part of these teams, should be a part of these teams from the start to the end of the season. And then after all the season is done, not just the regular season, but bowl season as well, that's when the transfer portal should be open for guys. So then opting out of the bowl game to strictly enter the transfer portal is, in lo is no longer an option, and so it doesn't minimize these games. 
But the issue with that, Dan, and I hear you. Like, I'm, I, I, I've been covering college football. Right? We've both been covering college football. The issue with that is, what about school? You know what I mean? Like, the reason that the transfer portal is where it, the, 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 the opt-out situation is where it is is because spring classes are going to start, right? Like, people are going back to school in just a few days. And so that's why it is what it is, right? I remember when I was playing, they would say, okay, yeah, you're a student athlete, student first Athlete set or how they, yeah. they would say like that, that's yeah, why that's why you move but that's why you move the date as and well so, of the season odds like that's why we have to start okay, the season okay. sooner and the college football playoff really should start early December yeah. not early January well it will change now with the 12 team but uh, say, Sam quick question did you did you take pride yeah. in, in in playing in a bowl game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but but back then just, it was what, back then right 20 back, 2007 no but that's it it was an opportunity go to California like. It was like, whoa, I get to go to California. I've never been, I've never been once or twice to get to play in the Holiday Bowl. Then all of a sudden, we were in the Fiesta Bowl. We weren't playing for a national championship. We feel like we got snubbed, right? It was a three-way tie in the Big 12. Oklahoma went. We didn't, though. We beat Oklahoma. We wanted to go make a point. We dominated. Well, not, not dominated, but we won against Ohio State. So we felt like we made a point, and that carried us over to the next year where we went undefeated and went into the national championship. 13-0, we ended up losing Alabama. Quarterback got injured, didn't win that game. But because we had something to prove, we were more of a team. That's why I wanted to play. I don't fault any player who decides they want to go transfer right now because they're not getting opportunities. Sometimes their coaches are leaving. We have heard coaches say, yeah, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. And the next day, then the next day they're signing somewhere else. And so my point is players have to do what's in the best interests of them as well. The NCAA for years and years is making a lot of money off of players. Now all of a sudden players have a chance to make money off their name, image, and likeness, opportunity to transfer. And we're seeing, look at the Heisman Trophy, look at the playoff teams. Sometimes transfer actually helps and IL helps as well. Yeah, it just feels like there's there's more pride in sitting out than actually playing these games and these are glorified scrimmages, if not even glorified. They got to change it's, the portal date. They have to change the timing of when guys can get in and out of the portal. Yeah, Pandora's box is f- completely open. I, I don't know how you reel it back in. Hey, I'm Molly Caram, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Brought to you by the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited double miles on every purchase every day, and you can use those miles on any travel purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. So the Ravens ran up the scoreboard against the Dolphins as they put up 56 points as Lamar Jackson solidified his case for MVP. Lamar threw for five touchdowns, the first time he threw for five TDs since his 2019 unanimous MVP season, and the Ravens' defense caused three turnovers in their blowout win. And to add more injury to the insult, Miami was hit with some bad news in Week 17 with Tua 
Xavier Howard and linebacker Bradley Chubb all leaving the game with injuries. This on top of Miami already missing uh, running back Raheem Mostert and wide receiver Jalen Waddell. So Dan, after watching that performance and looking at their growing uh, injury issues, just how confident are you in the Dolphins and their chances at a deep playoff run? I'm not. I, I was. I'm not because of the injuries and the way that those have piled up in very specific positions. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when this offense is humming, it's really built around an offensive line. And that offensive line has lost starter after starter, mainly their center who kind of controls everything. I think Jalen Waddell is going to be okay, and I think Raheem Mostert is going to be okay. So as much as I love their skill talent and those guys should be whole, you're going to be playing against elite defensive lines that are going to attack you. So offensive line injuries are, are a big problem. The, the fact that both Jalen Phillips and Bradley the Chubb rushers. are – this defense, RC knows, Vic Fangio's defense is not one that is built on attacking you. Mm. It is built on we want to take every single completion away from you. We're going to make everything difficult on you. And then our pass rushers on the outside are going to win over time. The fact that both of those edge guys are gone is a massive, massive, massive loss. We're talking about two of the top 10, top 15 edge rushers in football this year. And that gives me a ton of concern because to go beat Baltimore, you're going to have to score. To go beat Buffalo, you're going to have to score. To go beat um, a team like Kansas City, you're probably going to have to go against a good defense. So I think because of the injuries, I have a lot of hesitation. Yeah, and I think it, it is about the injuries too. Like I don't want people to listen to us and say that we don't think that the Miami Dolphins hold are a good team. No doubt. Because we've seen them compete with some of the best in the league, but – when you don't have your edge rushers and the defense that needs their edge rushers because they aren't as sound when you bring pressure. You know, you saw that against the Dallas Cowboys when they were bringing Duke Riley, who hit, who in himself is a backup. Right. Right. And now you're down Xavier Howard on the outside. You just get back Javon Holland, who has been battling injuries. Deshaun Elliott missed a week for concussions. When you start to lose starter after starter, it gets more difficult to play. Yeah. It gets more difficult to win. Not to mention – when they were whole, they weren't beating good football teams. Yeah. And so you think about the Baltimore Ravens and you look at teams like the Buffalo Bills this week who are now playing better. They just don't seem to have enough of their initial roster to go out and win games. And it's, it's funny because it becomes splitting hairs because at one point this team had an opportunity to take the lead or, or tie the game up and Tyreek Hill Bobbles a touchdown. Touchdown, sure. Right? It's a different game in that point. Or instead of being smart with the football late or sort of protecting the football late, Tua Tungvaloa forces it in to a difficult spot and Roquan Smith picks it off. Yeah. You diagram this morning so, so beautifully on the telestration. Lamar Jackson throws a football that three people in the world. The Isaiah Likely touchdown? Yeah, can't yeah, yeah, complete yeah, yeah. on fourth and seven. And so there are these little plays. But these little plays pile up when you start to lose players. Yeah. And so I don't believe that the Miami Dolphins have what it take now, takes now to make a run. It's crazy because they're going to play at home this weekend against Buffalo yeah. for the chance to win the division. And? I, we, I, I felt that they were the one team that needed the one seed in the AFC, similar to like how I felt about with Dallas and the NFC. Obviously, Baltimore is the one seed. 
Miami could go from, you know, three weeks ago being the one seed yeah. to now having to go on the road first playoff game and, right. and, and, and try to, like, find a way to win on the road versus somebody. Because if Buffalo is able to go down there, and as I sit here today, Monday. I'd, I'd pick Buffalo. I would pick Buffalo. Pick and Buffalo. I don't think I'm going to change the, because of the injuries, though. Yep. Like, again, to your point. Um, Miami's going to go on. The, uh, have to go on the road and have to play against somebody with a depleted roster, and it just for them it sucks that they're two of the three most important players on their yeah. defense. Yep, got got hurt, and it's going to completely change the trajectory. Of and the it's playoffs. just so hard. Like like this team, this is a track meet team. Yeah, yeah. right. When you look at Achan and you look at Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, right. And sometimes playing at that pace gives your defense too many opportunities to be on the football field. Like when it's going well, they're able to run it. But when you play against some of these better teams, they've seemed to understand how we can minimize that run and put the football game on Tua Tungavaloa and start to bring that pressure. And we saw that against the Baltimore Ravens. It wasn't that the Baltimore Ravens stopped the run early. Mm -hmm. It was that once they started to put up points, the Miami Dolphins had to become one-dimensional. And when you become one-dimensional like that and you're having three and outs and these opportunities for defenses, I mean, for offenses to get back on the field, it just wears you out. And when you have one true cover guy healthy, like we saw them toward the end of the day with Jalen Ramsey, and he just plays the right side of the football field, you better be able to get a rush. Because if you can't, you're going to get cooked. And we saw that start to happen. Do we see him get cooked again this weekend? I think they lose. I I don't believe it's – I don't believe – it's going to be a blowout because of the way the Buffalo Bills now want to play offense behind the run into the play-action pass. But I just don't think you can stop Josh Allen without pressure. And I don't know if this team's going to be able to generate mm-hmm. it. So if they have to add people to the rush with the way Josh makes people miss and is great in the scramble drill, it's going to be a tough, and that's a tough just, out. That's just not who they are, really. Yep. Like That's schematically not who Miami is. I think his RC's point of – you don't have your two guys that are pass rushers versus Josh Allen. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> no that shot, bro. For, I, I would be – I'd be very surprised if Buffalo doesn't win that game. And I love Miami. And I think the world of them and MVP and, and Tua's had an MVP type of season. And I hope that Tua gets his contract this year. And we'll see what happens in the playoffs. I think Buffalo knows what's at stake. Because Buffalo could – Go from being like the two or three seed to out to being out. Yeah, if they like lose, they, they, they cannot have, be in the playoffs. They have, Buffalo's been in playoff mode for a month now. They yeah. got their life on the line. Yeah. Miami knows that they're in. Hey, Molly Karam here, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards, scoring beatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code TAKE. That's code TAKE. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. All right, we head back to the NFL. The Chicago Bears have had a roller coaster season, but their 2023 ended with some good news as they locked up the number one pick for the second straight year after the Panthers lost to the Jaguars yesterday. Last year, the Bears traded away the number one pick to the Panthers, which they then turned into Bryce Young. 
So, with Justin Fields playing as well um, as he – Oh, you guys are – this is it's stressing you guys out. It's Let's go. You, you, you've been on this, Dan. So, what should the Bears do uh, with that number? I'm the Bears fan on this panel, by the way. And what, I'm, what do you so want I'm, them to do? I, I think I want them to keep Justin Okay, Fields. here we go. All right. Here, here. That's the problem. My answer, I have no idea. <laughs> yep. I, I honestly don't know, and I think this is going to be by far the most fascinating thing that happens – with the NFL from end of season to off season. Okay, so a couple things. Number one, if your whole premise or reasoning to take the quarterback at number one and get rid of Justin Fields is to reset the financial market, that is the wrong reason. You have to go – who's going to be the better player? Do you think Justin Fields or whoever you're going to take, either Caleb Williams or Drake May at number one? Who's going to be the better player? It should not be about just about resetting um, the financial thing. Um, I look at it like this, and I've said this for a long time. Very rarely do quarterbacks who get taken number one by bad organizations flip bad organizations into good ones. Let me give you the last 10 quarterbacks that have been taken number one, and you make the judgment if that organization has been flipped or not. Bryce Young, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Sam Bradford. I would say that only one of those guys has definitively flipped a bad organization to good. That's Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Now Cam did it in Cincinnati. What Carolina. do you think? What do you think about what do you think about Jared and where he had the Los Angeles Rams? Obviously, they win the Super Bowl sure. with Matthew, but when you look at what Jared, Jared was able to get them to a Super Bowl, and they were still a good football team. I think he did a good job there, along with the the acquisition of uh, Sean McVay. Sean McVay, yes, but there was also, and that's a fair point, there was also that stretch of the Rams that had, you know, like five straight top five picks. Remember, they picked like yeah, Aaron Donald right. and Michael Brock right. and Chris Long. And, and yeah. I, we have way more evidence in the NFL that the model of Baltimore or Kansas City or Buffalo where you build your football team and then you go get your quarterback. Baltimore traded up to the last pick in the first round to go get Lamar. Kansas City traded yeah. up to go get Patrick. Buffalo traded yeah. up to go get Josh Allen. We have a lot more evidence of that. Jalen Hurts is a second-round pick. Dak Prescott is a fourth-round pick because they had good rosters. Mm -hmm. Then go get the quarterback rather than quarterbacks just solving everything. So I sit here initially and I think, like, you got to think long and hard about getting rid of Justin Fields. And like the, the, so the, the problem with that is – you essentially did the same thing to get Justin Fields. You just got him at 11. You're right? trying to up to get yeah, him, yeah. Yeah, because you, you were already – because no, because you were a bad team at that moment as well. Yes. And Justin Fields, who in my opinion at that time shouldn't have fallen out of the top 10, fell out of the top 10. You're like, okay, now we can go get our, our guy. So you'd essentially be doing that twice. And I feel yeah. like – I feel like – where Justin Fields has not only played himself to, but this team to right now, I don't know if I want to change that momentum. I don't want if I I don't know if I want to bet on a Drake May or a Caleb Williams being better than Justin than Justin Fields. Now, here's what I'll say. I've gotten to see Caleb Williams play twice in person. And my goodness, yeah. he is talented. I think he's a more talented kid coming yeah, out he of college. Is, yes, he is. From a from an arm talent standpoint, he is on the par with the, the Josh Allens of the world and the Patrick Mahomes. Maybe not as much arm strength, but just the talent of being able to place the ball where you want it, push it down the field, off platforms, throws yeah. those things. Do you draft him anyways and then put him behind Justin? 
No, no, no. You can't do that. You can't, you can't do it. You can't, you can't have them in the same room, and because you also waste that pick that way. Yeah. You can't waste that pick. And so now you have to play your rookie quarterback immediately. Yeah. The number one pick. Well, the thing is, though, having both of those in the room, you're basically running Caleb into a position of a of, of, of a wall, right? right? Whereas it's not a bridge. You have an actual quarterback there. Move Justin Fields and get something for him. Right and draft Caleb Williams, or I say you move the pick, try to get Marvin Harrison Jr. and build other equity with what you have. Part, the question is this, Dan: If you're Ryan Poles, what contract do you think you can re-sign Justin Fields? I'm on? not even thinking about it right now. Arthur. That's the key to me. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not even thinking about what what I'm going to do contract-wise with Justin. One, Justin will be going into his fourth, fourth year. year. Yep. I don't have to touch his contract. Okay. I have to make a decision if I'm going to pick up his fifth-year option. Right. Now you could do something like the Packers did with Jordan and Love, and two. then you got him two years at not no. an outrageous and they, number. And in mentioning that, just, they have the same agent as well, both Jordan Love and Justin Fields. So he was a part of that deal with Jordan Love. So then you have a two-year window. When your quarterback's not going to be cheap, but he's not going to be $50 million a year. And I think part of this is in twofold. One, listen, if Atlanta calls you and says, we're going to give you a first-round pick for Justin Fields, you certainly sit there and go, hmm, okay. You know, like that that has some value to it. The second part is this. Who – comes to you for that first-round pick. Because if it's a team that you think is going to be picking in the 20s, your picks don't matter to me. But if it's a team that you think is going to have a couple first-round picks that are in the top five, top ten. Yeah. I mean, you really are stumped by this. You're, is that a square root that you're yeah. – <laughs> like, He did a square root on his – We're not even – the math is a math in this. It, but he's, it, 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 it is so difficult. Yeah. And to be honest with you, at the beginning of the season, it, it wasn't. wasn't. Justin Fields has right. played his way Arguably into his this best conundrum. Season and his stock is as high as it, Absolutely. it, it can be. So. And that's why you might be able to get something for him, though. No doubt. So it's a it's good a problem to have, Bears situation. Dad, see? He's happy. He I know said my dad. dad. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Molly Karam here, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. When you're on a business trip, you know what goes completely off the rails? Your workout routine especially when you book a hotel that doesn't have a gym. So what ends up happening is you do a few push-ups, sit-ups in your room, run around the block, or you just skip it entirely. Lame. If you just stay at La Quinta by Wyndham, you'll discover there's a fully equipped fitness center at every location. Now you can wake up, power your buys, your tries the right way, or de-stress with a little cardio. The choice is yours. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ. Dot com. Welcome back. We got a quick take. Um, the Bills are one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and their fans are well, celebrating in unique ways as they do. Check out as this fan jumps through a table on fire and then struggles to be put out afterwards. I what, fan, okay. what would have to happen for you to jump through a table on fire? Bills Mafia. See, Cassie, this is this is the problem. This is a cultural thing. Uh, white people, we do crazy stuff. <laughs> It's the truth. We just do. Uh, I would do this. Uh, no, you would not. I 100% would do this. Strictly just to do it. I can't tell you why. I don't have the reasoning thought process-wise. But let me say this. Buffalo's awesome. That, like, cultural thing. I think this is awesome, which is a problem for I me. I mean, the half-white in me does not think this <laughs> is awesome. 50%? No. The Filipino part of me definitely doesn't think this is awesome. But I... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I think it's great. I, as is long he okay? as they were okay. On fire, okay. I guess as long as they were okay, but you know, 
Kids are watching. I burnt my Kids hand. Uh, I burnt my hand yesterday. And I blamed my wife. So yeah, but was it? You were probably just cooking some mac and cheese or something. All right, college eggs. football playoffs. <laughs> eggs are today. Let's not get into food with you. I know your issues. Um, big day. Big day. Number one Michigan taking on number four Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Uh, that's at five Eastern. Then number two Washington. Number three Texas in the Sugar Bowl. The winners, of course, play Monday, January eighth, for the national championship on ESPN. All right, back with Dan and Sam, um, and let's get into some picks on this New Year's Day. First picks of uh, 2024. I'll go 2-0. Two, two, two oh. All right, so, uh, Dan, who, oh. who do you have in the Alabama-Michigan matchup? I'm going to take Michigan, and I think the, the biggest part of this game is Michigan defensively not giving up explosive pass plays. This is one of the most, if not the most, explosive pass offense in college football this year. I think if Michigan can do that and force a little bit of the, like the methodical drives, advantage them. Sam? Yeah, I'm going to go Alabama. I don't think Michigan's going to be ready for Alabama's, not only their confidence, but Jalen Milrow's athleticism and his deep ball throwing ability. We saw in the SEC Championship game, Jalen Milrow used his arm. At the very end, he used his legs to seal the deal. I'm going Alabama. All right, Sam, you're on the Sugar Bowl's mega cast, so you can't predict this game. Um, so just give me your key to uh, the Texas-Washington game. I think the key will be the offensive line for Washington. They just won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football, going against Savondre Sweat, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, and Byron Murphy, another freak on the defensive line. And um, that's what I would go with. And shout out, I'm also here with the All-State AFCA Good Works team. I got a chance to speak with those guys as well, so I'll be seeing those guys at halftime of the game as well. And we'll be watching you tonight. Who's your pick? Um, I'm taking Washington. I think Washington is so well coached, as well as Texas, but so well coached. I think they can throw the ball in the perimeter and minimize Texas's physicality. Sam, have a great broadcast tonight. Enjoy the game. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You're done with work. What a day. <laughs> Let's go to bed. 2024 for you.